This morning we're going to go ahead and continue on in our series in the book of First Peter. So in this fifth part, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And if you remember last week, uh, we saw that Peter started speaking on responsibilities that we have and that come along with being a Christian. You guys didn't think that when you became a Christian... That's just what it was. There was no responsibilities, did you? You didn't think that there wasn't anything that you had to do on your part. The good news is, is you don't have to do anything on your part to be saved, but as a result of what happens inside of you, there are some expectations that come with it. Amen? Amen. So last week, we began to start learning about that four-letter word, submission. The, love, the word that everybody loves. And uh, we, we begin to see that as Christians, we have a responsibility to be submitted to the government and the human institutions that we take part in. And uh, we do this by obeying the law. That's the primary way that we do it, that we're subject to the human institutions or governments of our country, is that we obey the law. We do what we're supposed to be doing. And we set an example of Christ to those around us. The truth is, is that uh, uh, if you're a Christian, you should be doing the right thing. It's a little bit hypocritical if we say that we're a Christian, but we're out breaking the law every chance that we can get. Amen? So uh, we'll also learn that even if they persecute us, that we're to demonstrate peaceful and righteous behavior. Now, fortunately, in this country at this moment, uh, we don't get too much persecution for being a Christian. Um, that might be changing in the future. We don't know. We may, we may get an opportunity, like many Christians in other countries, to demonstrate this behavior, that even when we are persecuted, even when we are pushed down and put down, that we still behave righteously and in a peaceful manner, that we still uh, are, are subject to the authority that has been placed in front of us. Because how many know that all authority is given by God? Even the authority that we don't like. And then Peter reiterated that we're supposed to... to see the example that Christ set for us and live that example out, right? And, and we see with Jesus, he suffered and he endured and he didn't sin, he didn't, he didn't uh, slander, he didn't act out, he wasn't rebellious, he didn't revile anybody. But even when he was being persecuted in ways that none of us will ever face, he was still a perfect example for us. And then today we're going to go into an extension of this idea of submission and talk about how husbands and wives ought to deal with one another. Spoiler alert, the world doesn't really like the biblical model of marriage. They don't like the biblical structure, the, the stuff that God has ordained. But the reality is, is that the biblical model of marriage is the secret to a happy and fulfilling and long marriage. If you will submit to God and live as God intended you to live, and, and, and uh, treat your spouses the way that God intended you to treat your spouses, then you will, live, you will have a strong and long and successful marriage. Amen? Well, no, we'll allow it. No. <laughs> and then we're going to end this section, and at the end of uh, this section in chapter 3 that we're doing with uh, Peter making another appeal for us to live in unity and harmony with one another. So you guys ready to get going? All right. So 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, I have to admit that 
preaching on this kind of stuff is always a little bit intimidating for me, particularly in the culture that we live in today, that uh, uh, if, if there's any indication that women should somehow be treated differently than men, I mean, right now, if you're any kind of uh, in the public sphere and you say anything, if, if you were to repeat this verse in the public sphere, you would be ostracized and just torn apart in, in the, the global sphere right now, the, particularly in our country and on social media. And unfortunately, too, many, too much of this uh, idea of, of what marriage should look like and how men and women should be treated gets uh, from the world, sneaks its way into the church. And we get confused and we misunderstand what God's trying to say. So particularly in this day of age, I get a little intimidated preaching on this stuff. Matter of fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I, God has another message that he's put on my heart that I'm going to be sharing. It'll probably be not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. But I almost snuck it in two Sundays ago. But had I done that, I would have shifted the schedule and Joseph would get to preach this message. And I thought, I'm not going to do that to him. This is, a, this, is, this is one that we need to deal with. It's important that we understand. And I already made the schedule, so I should probably should. It would look like I'm just pawning it off on him. So I stuck it out. You got to deal with it with me today. But uh, a part of me wanted to, because to be honest with you, this stuff's hard to preach on. That's the good thing about going through the Bible verse by verse. It's the good thing and the hard thing is that uh, when I'm preaching on a topic, I get to pick the verses that I want to highlight. Right? I get to build a message that, that makes the point I want to make. But when you're, when you're going verse by verse, you don't get to skip the hard stuff. How many of you know there's some hard stuff in the Bible? There's some stuff, mainly it's hard because we, we try to understand it from our own perspective instead of from God's. But there's some tough stuff. So as we get started today, let's, let's take a look at, we're going to do it backwards. Instead of talking about what Peter does mean, let's talk about what he doesn't first. So first off, Peter is not saying that wives should be slaves to their husbands. Being subject to your own husband is not the same as being their slave. He's not saying that wives are to accept abuse from their husbands. He is not saying that, that wives are less valuable than their husbands. He's not saying that wives should support and follow their husbands into sin. Or anything that violates their Holy Spirit-inspired conscience or the Word of God. That's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, in this case, the, the, this, this particular situation that we're looking at, that, uh, if, if, if the, he was, uh, this was being read by a, a Roman woman, maybe her husband still worships Roman gods. Peter's not saying that you should worship Roman gods with your husband in order to honor him and to be subject to him. That's, that he would, they would never expect that. And also, this is something I've seen men get confused. It doesn't say that women are to be subject to every man. It says their own husbands. This doesn't mean that, that, that there's some relationship that every woman has to submit or be in subjection to every man. That's actually not what the Word of God says. And we're actually going to look through this, and we're going to see that quite a lot is said in the New Testament about how wives are to treat their husbands. And in this section alone, Peter actually spends about three times as much time talking about how wives are to treat their husbands than how husbands are to treat their wives. Some of you ladies are offended by that. I mean, what is the deal? But the truth is, is that we have to, to, to think about 
what's going on here. We have to remember that the Bible is actually written to a specific people in a specific point in time. In history, we have to understand what was going on in the culture, what was happening then to understand what he's doing. And what that doesn't mean is that it, it doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to us just because it was to a specific people at a specific time. But what it does mean is that we can use that information to better understand what was being instructed. So you have to imagine right now, women are having a paradigm shift that they've never experienced before, probably in the history of man. They just found out that through Jesus Christ, that God has demonstrated that they are equal in the sight of God. They're being learning that they are just as valuable and as loved by God as that men are. They are learning that they are and experiencing freedom that they've never experienced before in their entire lives. There's a paradigm shift that's happening for women right now. And the problem is, is that because of that, there's an opportunity for, to let that freedom get away from them and cause problems in their marriage, particularly for those who had unbelievers as husbands. You know, Peter is, is speaking, uh, more than likely is speaking specifically to a Jewish audience. And what's happening is a lot of these women are getting saved and their husbands are not. So this idea of them having this, this freedom that they've never had before could cause problems in the marriage if it, if it wasn't handled properly. And the truth is, this idea of handling your freedom isn't isolated to marriages only. What Paul taught, what? That you would take care with your freedom. That you don't cause others to stumble. You don't use your freedom at the expense of others. Paul said, I would, I would squash every freedom I had if it meant that somebody else wouldn't have a problem, that they wouldn't stumble. So this idea of taking care of your freedom is important. So I think that that's, I believe that's the reason why you see more time spent speaking to women about how they should act because they're having a paradigm shift. And they, they're, they're getting instruction that they've never gotten before, that they've never heard of before. So Peter reminds him that your, your freedom isn't an excuse to act in an ungodly manner. So he says, wives are to be subject to their husbands. Now I want to reiterate, this isn't a, a, an indication of value or worth. This is about order. Anytime that we see these kind of things, it's because God is a God of order and a God of structure. It's the same reason that's, that uh, uh, we're instructed to be submitted to earthly authority to human institutions this is why the army is not run by committee it's true could you imagine what would happen if everyone got a vote somebody has to be in charge somebody has to make a decision that's where the expression comes from anybody ever heard the expression there's too many cooks in the kitchen that's where that expression comes from you see, the thing is, though, is that with that comes responsibility, men have been given the responsibility to lead the family and to keep order. Not because they're better, but in order to maintain a structure that works, that functions properly. Amen? And this isn't just... To, the, she, the, Peter's not just speaking about Christian husbands. He doesn't say, likewise, wives be subject to your own Christian husbands. He says, your own husbands, that even if they don't obey the Word... So even unbelieving husbands, Christian wives are supposed to be subject to them. And the truth is, I understand, this can be a, a difficult thing to do. It, But if your husband is not a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're exempt. 
And the reality is, is that God can use, them, use you to reach them in ways that nobody else would be able to reach them. And it's not by nagging or being aggressive or beating them over the head with the Bible. Matter of fact, you're just going to push, people, push them away if that's the way that you behave. But the truth is, is that if you do it in a peaceful manner, that when they see your respectful and pure conduct, that, that you could win them without even saying a word. Now to be clear, this doesn't mean that you're not supposed to share the Word of God with them. But it's how you do it that's important. The reality is, is it's the Word of God that inspires faith, that allows people to have faith for salvation. Amen? But, so he's not saying that you never share the Word of God, but there is a difference between beating them with the Bible and sharing when the opportunity arises. Amen? Because think, if you live your life in such a way they, they go, why is it that you're different? Why is it that things have changed? And they're going to ask questions. And you'll have opportunities. Because you're living your life like Jesus. That's why he says here, when they, uh, that's why he says likewise right here. You remember, at the end of chapter 2, what is he talking about? He's talking about how Jesus lived his life. He's saying likewise, like Jesus... You're to do these things. And Jesus was submissive and endured more than any person has ever been asked to endure before. And yet he still lived without sin. He still showed a righteous and peaceful life. Amen. And then he continues on in verses 3 through 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we're going to follow the same model. Let's talk about what he doesn't mean first. He doesn't mean that you can't look nice. He doesn't mean that you can't wear jewelry. He doesn't mean that you can't do your hair nice. He doesn't mean that, that you shouldn't wear nice clothes. And he's not saying that makeup is from the devil. <laughs> but without other way, what is he trying to say? What is he talking about? So if we think about this, just like today, back in society, back then, uh, society's focus was on outward appearances. You know, it's not too different today. I mean, people make entire careers off of taking pictures and posting them on Instagram. They, 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 show, uh, they, they try to show uh, who they are by taking these pictures that only show an external thing, but actually don't show the whole picture of who they are. And if you think about this, particularly in Roman culture, of, of which the, the recipients of this letter would have been living in, the dispersed Jewish Christians, that we talked about in the beginning of 1 Peter, he says, the dispersia, those who have been dispersed. Um, this is the, the society that they're living in. And in this society, the, a person's outward value could be indicated, if not outright determined, by how they looked. If they looked at you, and, and man, it's no different than today. It's, it's always funny to me that, that the, the times have changed, the technology have changed, but people haven't changed. We do it all the time. We judge people by what they look like. If they're wearing nice clothes, if a, if a guy walks in wearing, wearing a suit and a tie and nice shoes, like, oh man, he must be well-to-do. But if they come in dressed all slob and holes and dirty, we, we, we think another thing. Because we placed a lot of importance on the outward appearance of people. And the, the, in this time, expensive jewelry, gaudy, gaudy jewelry, expensive clothes, like super uh, crazy braids in the hair. They, they would go and do this crazy uh, adornment in their hair, elaborately braid it. 
And this was an indication. It was all to draw focus on themselves. It was all to, to, to draw attention to the wearer of these things. And while Peter is addressing a primarily Jewish uh, audience, Paul told Timothy to give similar instructions to a Gentile audience in 1 Timothy 2, 9-10. You can read about it there. It's, it's very similar instruction. But as Christians, we have to understand it's not what is on the outside that matters, but what is on the inside. Jesus said this in Matthew 23-25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. It's not the outside that matters. The thing is, is that, and the point that he's trying to make is that your appearance shouldn't be the preeminent focus in your life. And the truth is, this can go for men and women. It doesn't matter. If you spend too much time worried about how you look and not worried about the things of God and the kingdom of heaven, then you've got a problem. You've got a priority mismatch. But your, your value, your worth, has, is not tied to how you dress or how you look. Your value is actually determined by what somebody is willing to pay for you. And God gave His life for you. That's pretty valuable if you ask me. Jessica just sold her house recently and she didn't get quite what she was asking. Just a little bit less. But I was hoping she'd get way more because the more she got, the more my house was worth three doors down. (laughs) Because home values are determined by what people are willing to pay for them. The same is true for us. God gave everything for us. That's the value that He placed on you. And the reality is, is my wife is beautiful. She is gorgeous. And I love it when she dresses up and when she looks nice. I love it when she takes the time to do her makeup and her hair and do all those things because it looks beautiful, but that's not her focus. That's not about who she is. And the truth is, is that I think most men appreciate it when when their wives make themselves look nice. Just like every wife appreciates it when her husband dresses up a little bit and doesn't look like a slob or a bum. Amen? We can appreciate that. But you know what? For my wife, she can wake up with her hair in her mess, you know, sleep in her eyes, breath that could peel the paint off a barn, <laughs> and she's still beautiful. Amen? She's still gorgeous because her beauty isn't limited by her outward appearance. And her value isn't defined by what she's wearing. She has a gentle and quiet spirit. And in God's eyes, that's precious. And you know what? In mine as well. Amen? Peter goes on in verses 5-6, through six, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, Peter begins to use examples in the Old Testament and, and, and women that have already lived and said that these, these women who hoped in God... And lived this way, that was an example of how to adorn themselves. In other words, these women of old made themselves beautiful by submitting to God and by submitting to their husbands. By demonstrating a a gentle and quiet spirit. By demonstrating God's will in their life. By being obedient to God. Amen? And just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord is what he says. He says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And realistically, this isn't so much as in a, as in a, a, a slave master type of thing 
But this is more, it was more of a sign of respect. You actually look through the whole Old Testament and men and women referred to other visitors, other guests, other people as Lord all the time, even if they weren't directly in authority over them. It was a sign of respect. It's much like today we might say sir or ma'am. It was primarily a sign of respect. It was a way to politely greet somebody. But the reality is, is that Sarah did submit and follow her husband's leadership. Imagine this, she packed up and left everything because he said so. God told him, you know what? Pack up, leave all your family, leave your father's house, leave everybody. It's time to move on to a land that I'm going to give you. And as far as I can tell from reading the scriptures, God coming down and speaking to people wasn't terribly common at this point. She might have thought he was crazy. But she was obedient to him. She submitted to his leadership, his headship of the household, and she followed him. And God blessed her, and by extension, all of us through her so many years, all these years down the way. You know, she's mentioned specifically in the Heroes of Faith chapter in the book of Hebrews for being obedient and trusting God. And I thought that submission to your husband really is, is being obedient to God. Keep that in mind. That's important as we talk about some stuff later. But really, being sub- submitted to your husband is about, a being, about, about being obedient to God. Now today, I don't think any uh, a Christian woman is expected to call her husband Lord. Matter of fact, if my wife called me Lord, I'd probably think she was being sarcastic. It's not fitting in today's terminology. It's not the language that we use today. And... Uh, but one of the commentaries that I was reading, that I was studying uh, for this, had a, had, a, had a he said something that I thought was brilliant. He said Christian wives today would probably embarrass their husbands if they called them Lord, but their attitudes ought to be such that they could call them Lord, and people would believe it. Wives, is that the way that you're living your life? Are you showing that kind of respect to your husband? Are you showing that because that's not his idea? That's God's idea. That's not your husband saying, you must respect me, you must honor me, you must be subjected to me. That's God saying, this is how it works. Like I said, uh, being subject to your husband is about being obedient to God. Amen? And then finally he says, you are daughters, you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, Sarah was mentioned as, is, is considered the mother of God's people, just like Abraham is the father of God's people. And he says that you are her daughters. That means that you are like her, that you are replicated like her, that you are living like her, that you're living in her footsteps. If you do these things, as if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And this means that even when it seems you should be, you shouldn't be afraid to follow your husband's lead. Trust God to get you through whatever you're dealing with. Just like Sarah trusted God. I imagine she thought he was crazy. I imagine there was some fear when he said, let's pack up everybody and go. But she trusted God. And God was faithful. Amen? But the good news is, he doesn't just give instructions for women. He gives instructions for the husbands as well. In verse 7, likewise, like who? Like Jesus. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So now it's time for husbands. As I mentioned earlier, that 
instructions to Christian wives were probably more prevalent because they had the greatest paradigm shift in what was going on. They had the greatest change, so they got the greatest instruction because they never had instruction like this before. But that doesn't mean the call and the responsibility to men is any less important. Truthfully, for all the talk that us guys like to joke and make, and, and, and make light of about how women are supposed to, the wives are supposed to be subject to us or they're supposed to do these things, we're the head of the household, we forget what comes along with that. With that authority comes a lot of responsibility. At the risk of sounding like Uncle Ben, all the old people don't know about Spider-Man. You guys should know about Spider-Man. Uncle Ben is Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. Guys are killing me. Where are all the younger folks at? They all didn't come to church today. All the Hallelujah. The thing is, though, the reality is, is that that men with that comes responsibility. I think many men don't realize what actually rests on their shoulders. They have no idea of the weight that rests on their shoulders to have that responsibility to lead their family, to be the spiritual leader of their family. I got a question for you. Husbands, if your wife is being obedient and following you, and you lead her into something stupid, who's going to answer to God for that? It's not her. She was being obedient. She followed your lead. She did what she was supposed to do. You're the one that messed up. So you're going to answer to God for the decisions that you make. Good or bad, you're going to be answering to God for the decisions that you make to lead your family. It's not going to be your wife. It's not going to be your children. It's going to be you, husband, that are answering to God. You will have to be giving an account. And the truth be told, I, I got to be honest with you, when I look at and see uh, most men in this country, most husbands, I, I actually have some sympathy from the women when, they, when they, they, they don't want to submit to their husbands. Because the truth is, is that the husbands aren't leading. They're not stepping up and being the man of the household. They're not stepping up and being the spiritual leader. They're being wishy-washy. The truth is, is that if many wives weren't, weren't devoted to God and, and devoted spiritually, there'd be no spiritual things going on in the household at all. They're not putting their wives and their family first. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul said, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Newsflash, husbands, he gave up his life for the church. He gave everything. So that are you, uh, how many husbands are, are being willing to suffer and die for their wives? And ladies, this isn't an excuse for you to not be obedient. Remember we talked about that? What is submitting to your husband being? It's being obedient to God. God doesn't say, be subject to your husbands if they're doing all the right things. If he's loving you well, if he's leading you well, then be subject. No, he says be subject. But husbands, how about you step up and be a man that your wife cannot be afraid or insecure to follow? That's what we need husbands in the church to do. And he goes on to say, live with your wives in an understanding way. First, this actually means living with your wives. If you're at work too much, 
if there's always something more important, if you're always out with friends, if you're always out doing something else. The first part of living with your wives and understanding is living with your wives. That means you need to make time for your wives. Husbands, that means that you need to make sure that you are, are, are actually being there for them. As far as the pecking order of your relationships, it should go, God, your wife. And truthfully, it's in every marriage, it's God, your wife, and then your kids. Too many people put their kids first, and their marriage becomes a mess. The truth is, is if you don't keep your marriage strong, your, your kids are never going to have what they need to have. So it needs to be God, your spouse, and then your kids. And then he says that it needs to be in an understanding way. You see, this is one thing that too many men get wrong. They think that, oh, I'm the boss. I'm the one in charge. I have all the answers. But no, you need to live with your wife in an understanding way. That means that you should probably speak to her from time to time. If you're going to make a big decision, you want to talk to her about it. The truth is, in many areas, my wife is much more sensitive and understanding, especially uh, of what's going on spiritually sometimes, that if I didn't listen to her, I'd make all kinds of dumb mistakes. We need to, to, to understand and listen to our wives. That means we need to understand her needs, her wants, and her desires. That means we need to be understanding of her gifts and her abilities as well. If she does something better than you, let her do it. She'll make you look good. If you lead with just yourself in mind, you're going to make a mess. But if you lead with your wife in mind, you're going to be a much better husband, a much better leader, a much better father. And then he goes on to say that we're to show honor to the woman. That means to, to respect her as well. That means to love her, to support her, to be there for her, to treat her as one whom God loves and values just as much as you. Christ gave His life for her. That's her value. Treat her like it. You know, we just talked earlier that a woman's obedience to do these things is not based on the man being a person that she can submit to, but it's her being obedient to God. And as husbands are treating her like this is not dependent on whether she submitted to us. See, that's the thing that people get wrong is wives say, well, I'll submit to my husband when, 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 when he's a godly husband. And, and husbands say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be that kind of man if she'll submit to me. But both of you guys are being disobedient and being stupid. How about you do your part first? You can't control what the other person does, but you can control what you do. Amen. And that's what you're responsible for. And then he goes on. This is the one that, that many women get put off by. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This is in reference to physical strength. The truth is, is that while it's not 100%, most men are stronger than most women. That's just a fact of life. Regardless of what a society wants to tell you today, there are differences between men and women. That's just a fact of life. But he's talking about the physical aspect here. He's not, he's not talking about that that somehow women are weaker spiritually. He's not saying that they're not weaker mentally or that they're, that they're weaker emotionally or that they're weaker intellectually. He's not saying any of these things. 
While it's true that men or women are different in, in strength in general, on the average, intellectually, IQ-wise, I've done studies, men and women are like in a dead heat. For in, they're, they're, That's the, the difference. The weaker vessel is talking about physical strength, and that's just a reality. But like I said, they're certainly not spiritually inferior to men. Matter of fact, to, the, to most husbands that are in this situation, shame the wives are the spiritual powerhouse in their families. And that shouldn't be so. When, when, when Paul said, I will not allow a woman to teach me, uh, I forget exactly where it's at, what he's saying is not that they're incapable of doing it. What he's saying is that if a woman is teaching me, then that means I'm not doing my job. That means that I'm not fulfilling the role that I am supposed to be fulfilling, so she had to step in. But women aren't intellectually or spiritually inferior to men in any way. And the truth is, is that most men need to step up and be the men that God called them to be. Amen? So men, when he's saying showing honor to women is the weaker vessel, this means that you have a responsibility to exercise your strength to support her, to love and honor your wives. You should be protecting your wives and your family from anything that's oncoming. No matter what it is, you should be the one up front taking the heat, taking the damage, and protect those who God puts you in authority over. You have a responsibility, husband. And if anybody is confused about this idea of men and women being equal in the sight of God, he actually goes on to say it. See, many, many guys wanna, and women want to grab hold of this whole weaker vessel thing, saying, oh, he's saying that we're different. There's something wrong with women. They're not as good. But then he goes on right after that. He says, since they are heirs. Other translations say, co-heirs with you of the grace of life. Because as far as God's concerned, we're equal. Galatians 3.28 There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, men and women are only treated in the kingdom of God differently in an organizational manner. Not in any other way. We're, we're equal. There's nothing different about us as far as God's concerned. We're the same other than the roles that we fulfill in this life. The responsibilities and the duties that we have. And he goes on to say that you need to do this so that your prayers not be hindered. And husbands, if you're not doing this, your spiritual life is going to be impacted. It's going to make an impact in your life. Struggling in your relationship with God? Maybe take a step back and see how you're taking care of your wife. Because this can impact you. Amen? And then finally he goes on in verses 8-9. through nine. He says, finally all of you, where we're jumping out of the husband and wife section and back into Peter speaking to, to everybody. He says, finally all of you, that's how I know he's speaking to everybody. I'm pretty clever like that. He says, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. He does five qualities that we need to do to succeed as Christians. One, he says we need to have unity of mind. This means that we need to be working together for the common goal of sharing and spreading the gospel. We need to have a unity of mind, one purpose, to serve God, preach the gospel. This is why 
we have we strive to have great relationships with other churches. Uh, if you guys have been with us for a long time, you know that we have a great relationship with the Springs Church, right around the corner here. And they're not even the same denomination or anything as us. Matter of fact, we have some, some, some beliefs that differ. Not core beliefs, not fundamental heaven or hell beliefs, but we do have some stuff that we, we theologically disagree on. But that doesn't mean that we can't be, have one mind with one mission to get people saved. We also do work with, with other churches and we do this uh, uh, food distributions. We just did one on Saturday. Uh, yesterday, um, we meet with other churches for that as well because even though we're different churches, we are one body and we have one purpose. And we need to have unity of mind. And then he says that we need to have sympathy. This means that we need to be there for one another and be willing to share in one another's needs and burdens. This means that that we should have an understanding of one another. This is why the Bible says that we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also weep with those who weep. This should be one of the greatest things that drives you to be out there doing outreach and helping people. So that you can... The, the people that we were, we were helping yesterday, they, they really do need help. And the truth is, it's not the government's responsibility to help them. It's the churches. We should be making a difference. We should be out there supporting people. And he goes on to say, have brotherly love. That means we're supposed to love one another, that we're, that we're a family. You know, families are, are bonded on more than just superficial relationship-type actions. And what I mean by that is, is that we're not just friends when things are going good, but if somebody makes a mistake, then we hate each other, we're done. Family means that when you screw up, you figure it out. Family means that, that, that when, when, when something happens that, that could be terrible, you don't just give up and walk away, you fight for that relationship, because we're family. And that bond is stronger than just superficial actions. One of the people, and I've, I've said this before, I don't know if she ever hears me say it, but one of the people that, that can frustrate me more than anybody on the planet is my sister. But on the other hand, no matter what we've dealt with, I will always be there for her, and she will always be there for me. I could call her in the middle of the night and say, I need you, and she would do whatever it took, and vice versa, because we're family. And the same is true for the church as Christians. We're family. We should be there for one another. That means that we should actually spend time together as well. And we stick by each other and support and encourage each other when we screw up. And we don't just run away. Because the truth is is that we're all going to irritate each other. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do stuff to hurt one another. I'm your pastor. And I've done stuff to hurt other people and I I, I may do something to hurt you someday. I'll never do it intentionally. That'll never be my intent. But if I do, I hope that we can talk and work through it instead of just end a relationship. Because that's what families do. And this love that we have for one another should be our calling card. That should be how people know us. That should actually be a draw for people to want to come in. They should see what's happening between Christians and the church and go, I want that. And he says that we need to have tender hearts. This means to be conscious of others' needs and desires and help them out. Like I said, out there serving in these outreaches, being there for people. If somebody needs help moving, if somebody needs anything, having a tender heart means that, that you do what you can for them, that you care about them. The truth is, is that people need our help. And our heart's desire should be to help them. Amen? Yeah. 
And he says that we need to have a humble mind. Humbleness is a, is a thing people get messed up all the time. So many people think humbleness is about seeing how low you can present yourself. Being humble means that you, you don't... You know, one of the things that used to drive me crazy is, is, is when you have people on the worship team and they're singing and they, they do a fantastic job and you walk up and you're like, man, you have a beautiful voice. And they, and they go and give you some super hyper-spiritual, oh, it's just God, brother. Or it's, it's, it's okay to say thank you. Being humble is not, is not that. The difference is being humble is about, is about stating accurately who you are. So it's okay to say that I'm holy, that I'm perfect, that I'm pure, that I'm righteous. As long as you recognize that you're not those things on your own accord, it was God that did them for you. Matter of fact, so if you're to say, oh no, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm not even more than a worm. I'm so worthless. That's not being humble. That's actually just lying. If you were worthless, God wouldn't have sent his son to die for you. So there's a different so being humble is about accurately describing who you are. And you can say good things about yourself as long as you recognize that it was God that did them for you. If you try to take credit for it, then it's pride. But if you give credit where it's due, that is that is what is having a humble spirit is all about. Jesus was humble, but he made no qualms about who he was. You might say, man, he, he says he's the Son of God. Doesn't that seem pretty prideful? He was just stating an accurate truth. It wasn't pride. That was him being humble. And then he says in this section here, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. We are to repay evil with kindness, not evil with evil. Now I know if you guys are like me, you've had moments where you're like, I could just backslide for 15 minutes. We could take care of this problem. 15 minutes is all I need, God. Truth is, we just make a bigger mess. Because that's never the answer. The answer is trusting Him. And we return evil with blessing. And in doing so, He says that we'll obtain a blessing ourselves. Amen? And we'll end here in verses 10 through 12. For whoever desires to love life and see who desires to love life and see good days. Bob and, and Marty, they're, we've already had a good life. We're done. <laughs> I think they're raising their hand in their mind. <laughs> Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you want to love life and see good, you need to live your life in a godly manner. You must guide your tongue so let us keep his tongue from evil. James said that the tongue is like a, 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 a rudder on a, on a giant ship. It's something in comparison to the size of the ship, it's tiny, but it directs the entire thing. That means you've got to pay attention to the things that you say. And this is important. Some people think it's crazy stuff, but you know, if you ever say something like my headache, you're speaking incorrectly. It's not your headache. You don't own it. You shouldn't have it. God doesn't want it for you. My diabetes, my cancer, my people say this stuff all the time. They're claiming something that isn't theirs. Some people might say, well, this is just semantics, but it's not. It's important, the things that you say. It's not your cancer. You may have it. But it's not yours. 
And then he says we must run away from evil. So let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. You know, sometimes we just need to turn our backs to evil and get away from it. If you see it around you, get away from it. Don't let it be a part of your life. And our goal should be to seek peace and to pursue it if we find it. And what's amazing is that when we do good, God's eyes are on us. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And if His eyes are on us, we know that, that, he, that he hears us. If we will do good and, and run away from evil, then we can have fellowship with God. But those who seek evil and turn towards evil, they can never have fellowship with God. Because what fellowship can light have with the dark? But if we seek good and we do good and we have fellowship with Him, the amazing thing is that when you're in fellowship with God, you can know that He hears you. When you speak, He hears you. You can talk to Him face to face. We know that He hears us, that He is with us, and that He is for us. So church, I want to encourage you. Let's be obedient to the Word of God. Let's be a people who live godly lives, that turn from evil, that watch what we say, that trust Him in everything that we do, and let's not fear our circumstances, but put our trust in Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.